This morning we continue our sermon series through the book of Acts and the theme of holding on. The theme comes to us from the piece in Acts chapter 2 that we looked at last week where it says that the people of God devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now we're devoted meaning persisting on, continuing on, persevering on, holding on. And it's us too who have been called to hold on. Today we engage the word of God and see how do we hold on to the apostles' teachings of Jesus. And while our text today focuses on Acts chapter 4, it begins actually in Acts chapter 3. And to understand the context, we have to go back to the chapter before. And I love doing that because it reminds me that these stories are about real people that happened in real places at a real moment in time. And having that context helps us understand. It provides meaning. It gives us knowledge. It makes us more informed. It reminds us that we're not just looking at at bits and pieces of the word, but we're to look at the whole thing. It challenges us to move from a verse of the day, verse of convenience way of living, and instead to be in the word of God richly and deeply daily. We are to live as we read and read as we live. Meaning that there is no separation of life from the word, but we are to hold on to it, to crave it, to persist in it. And so it's in our word of God today that we find two apostles, Peter and John. Now we are going to repeatedly find these two together all throughout the book of Acts. And if you go back to the gospel of John, you'll see them together there as well. They have this close friendship that unites them. Even though by nature they were entirely different. Peter was impulsive. John was serene. We see at the resurrection that Peter was slow, that John was very fast. It's common knowledge among most scholars that Peter was a mountain biker and that John was a putter-upper of stories of mountain bikers. Now, they may have been different, but they supplement each other. And I love how God uses the friendship of believers for the good of the church. I think of Ruth and Naomi, David and Jonathan, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, Elijah and Elisha, Harry, Ron and Hermione, Paul, wait, that might be Harry Potter, uh, Paul and Timothy. How a powerful friend helps us in our walk of Jesus is evident in the scriptures. It's something that we all strive for to find. Now these two are going up to the temple at the time of prayer and they see a man who was lame, meaning he couldn't walk from birth, and they tell him to look at him. Now the man thinks he's going to get a little something-something from the disciples, so he holds out his hands, and Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And he does. And the people who were there are, are filled with wonder and awe. And Peter looks at them and says, People, why are you so surprised? Why do you look at John and I as if we have the power to do this on our own? Jesus, the one you crucified but God raised from the dead. It is through faith in him and by the power in his name that this has happened and caused this man to be healed. He goes on to tell them that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, that Jesus has fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament and even reminds them that Jesus was sent to the nation of Israel as a blessing so that they could in turn bless others. And then in the midst of all this excitement and teaching, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come up and they see what has happened and they hear John and Peter talking about Jesus. 
and talking about resurrection. And they seize them, seize them both and have them arrested. And that's where our text for this morning picks up. They've been arrested and now they have been called the next day to stand trial before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and give answer to by what power or what name did you do this? And our text picks up like this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is no doubt to what the apostles' teaching is. They tell the rulers of Israel the same thing that they told the people. Jesus, who was crucified, has been risen. And his work and his forgiveness isn't over. It's just beginning. Because what you discarded, the injustice that you did, has now become the cornerstone for eternal life for all. And has become the abundant life of love for all of us to live in the now. For salvation is in no one else. And they say that they will not stop speaking that news no matter what they do. They will not stop healing in Jesus' name no matter what. And they will not stop doing what is right no matter what. What's powerful is that the teachings of Jesus, the word here, is accompanied by action. The teachings of the apostles, the hope that is in Jesus, is not some lecture about knowledge. It's not a paragraph that we try to memorize and then mutter. But it is life-giving and life-changing teaching. It is the truth to everything we hold. It is a teaching worth dying for. It's a faith worth having. And it's a life worth living. The text goes on to say that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. It is amazing what walking with Jesus can do. Peter and John do not have a private education, no training in rhetoric. They didn't take a class on how to take the perfect selfie and hide that double chin. They are just ordinary people doing what they must, loving others and speaking the truth. This is what being around Jesus, being of him and with him does. It allows for those who have been the outcast, the neglected, the unseen to become more. It can set the lonely in families. It can bring hope to the brokenhearted. Strength to those who are weak. And power to those who are powerless. So the Pharisees, they step back and they say, they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? 
Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. What an interesting behind-the-scenes look at their planning and scheming. It's very clear that their thinking is, let's threaten them. Let's scare them into submission and they'll stop for who could stand against us. We have the power. We have the structure. We have the wealth. They will never be able to defy us through their speaking and acting. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. May it be for us as well. The name and the teachings of Jesus have power. And the teaching of Jesus is always accompanied with action. And there is action in this story. There is healing. There is the miracle of the man who was born without being able to walk, of course. But there's also people speaking out against the injustice being done to a man, Jesus. And what happens to them for this kindness and for speaking up? They're arrested and threatened. And it won't be the last time for these two. You can't even go another two chapters without seeing that because of their speaking out and because of what they are doing, they will be arrested again and this time even beaten for what they have to say. Doing what is right, what we have been called to do, will sometimes be met with opposition. And I love getting the context of the story so that we can understand it. But we also see sometimes the story is also relevant to our lives today. Not sometimes, always is. And perhaps by now, you've started to see a connection between the text here today and what is going on in our world. We can never forget that the word of God is alive and active. That we can see it and relate to it in our lives. These men spoke to give witness to Jesus. To tell the truth that he had died and rose and that there is forgiveness of sins in his name. But they would go on to speak of what it means to follow Jesus. To live for Jesus. I think of the letters that they wrote. These men took the truth, the gospel, the good news that was given to us to be saved and show us how in Christ we are to become one. The apostle Peter goes on in his letter to say that now that you have been purified, that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, you have sincere love for one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. He reminds them and us of who we have become. A chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. That we may declare the praises of him. Who has called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
He says that once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He calls us to have courage. To stick it out, to persevere, to hold on to the truths that we have in Jesus. John does the same thing in his letter. He calls each and every one of us to love one another. He says that we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you this new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or a sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And just before this, There's the beautiful promise that says that if you have failed to love as you have been called to. To step into the light. To have the courage to confess your sins and receive what God gives. He says if we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And we say this every week in our confession. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is the teaching that we hold on to. So that the word of God can fill our heads, our hearts, and be shown in our hands. For our God is the refuge of the oppressed. And he has invited us to join him in his restorative work. To speak to the hope we have. And to love because of what he has done. And that hope that we hold to. Friends, it will not be okay if in the days ahead, when the protests have ended, that we stop speaking about racism and the injustice. It will not be okay if when everything starts to open back up and with domestic violence on the rise and children in need of homes and Christian families, if we do not become a part of that, if we slip back into the old ways and refuse to fight against the evil and the systems that work to perpetuate this cycle, 
we miss these teachings. What good is a plant that sprouts up quickly and then when the sun scorches it, withers away because it didn't have deep roots in rich soil? Friends, our God has placed us in the soil. He has pulled us out of darkness and put us into the light to be light for others. To speak the hope and the truth that we have and to love. What good will it be to only be involved when it's fashionable or current? That's not a new teaching. That's what God himself said in Isaiah chapter 58. God says, is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is, not to, is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear God. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Do away with the yoke of oppression. With the pointing finger in malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. And your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. I pray we answer the fast that our Lord has called us to. We must answer. Because his love for us is not just when it is convenient. His love for us wasn't just on the day we were baptized. His love for us is not just on the days we don't sin badly. Jesus himself has repaired the broken walls that separate us from God. He has prepared a place for us to dwell forever. He has given us his very body and blood to eat. He has clothed each one of us with the robe of righteousness. He himself has cut the cords of the yoke of guilt and shame that hold us back. It is he that loves us speaks to each one of us and says, you belong to me. That, that is the teaching that we hold on to. 
we believe that Jesus has taken hold of us. Has taken hold of our hearts, our heads, our hearts, our hands. And he flows into us. And then from us. So that we can understand and listen. So that we can truly love. So that we can help. And so that we can speak to what we have seen and heard and experienced. We are his witnesses of what he has done. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In the name of Jesus. Amen.